Hello, welcome to the Bossit Podcast with Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This podcast is released every week and is an over-the-shoulder look of a frank and candid discussion between two experienced software executives, providing you with useful tips, techniques, and the latest concepts to help you grow your software business in the fast-paced digital age. So let's get into it. Here is Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. Hello and welcome. This is the Boss It Podcast. Michael, hope you're there. Mark, I'm here. How are you? Good. Busy as Good. always. Lots of interesting conversations over the last uh, week or so. Um, exactly. And I guess exactly. you've, I guess oh, I'm hoping you've you've had lots of uh, interesting meetings. Otherwise, this is going to be a very short podcast. <laughs> you're no, no, no. I'm going to start off with a real question and it's an extremely important question and I get this about every two, three months somebody, a business owner phones me with this question. I'm just going to ask you. So imagine you have a business and you're selling a software product and when you kind of start in the beginning at a, and you aim your, they are aiming their product at large corporates. And you know, at large corporates, it takes a long time. So while you're doing the process of the large corporate, other opportunities come on your road and you start marketing to others. And then you get in a Michael and Michael pushes you like crazy to go uh, on a niche, focus, build lots of marketing material to get an inbound engine going. And that starts running. So now comes the question. The guy phones me up and says, Michael, I have a problem. I have two very large corporates. They are consuming all my time in order to sell to them. You know how it goes. You need yeah. to create a document and another meeting and it's endless. We're talking about deal sizes between 300 and 600K. He says, I can do that with a lot of risk that I don't win. Or I can do a lot of the other stuff, which is I need to build a marketing team and I need to reach out and build up the outbound channel. I need to make a choice on focus because I cannot do both. What would you say, Mark? So <laughs> yeah. nice. Easy now one you're to thinking. Stop. Now you're thinking. Why am I doing this podcast with Michael? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, all you're doing. You're sitting all week thinking. Let me think. What's going to be a really <laughs> tough, nasty, nasty, nasty question to throw at him? <laughs> no, it's a no, good question. It's a, yeah, it's no. a valid question, and it it's is. a really important yeah. question because it's survival. Yeah. No easy answers. And, no, I agree. and and you you can't I don't think you can give one sort of standard answer that's going to fit all situations because there'd be a lot of follow up questions yeah. to ask but you know quite happy to talk about uh, some of the issues I think one of the first ones is that I would be them following up with further questions is asking them about cash flow because you know how important cash is with the business cash is king and I think that that okay. finally for these guys yeah cash is not the main concern okay. Well, that's interesting. So they can live for another three, four months without, I mean, they could do another six months without. Yeah, it's very rare, by the way, in that phase. Yes. But cash is not the issue. Yes. But that makes life a bit bit more luxurious, right? So so their overall objectives is, is building recurring revenue, offering a SaaS cloud model. That's yes. their strategic. Transactional. Direction. Yeah. Absolutely. And the big ones have that large amount of transactions. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, in that case, I think wherever possible is keep to your strategy. And that is easier said than done because those temptations of the large deals with a couple of corporates can be very enticing. 
and you can get sucked into them bit by bit, but also they can be very risky. I'm assuming yep. that this company is a sort of small, medium-sized software vendor. Small. Yeah, yeah small. small. Yeah, small. And um, it's quite easy for a corporate to realize that they will have the upper hand with negotiating with a company like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. They yeah. can probably also start to get a feel as to how important they are to that particular software vendor. Yeah. Um, but that, that then very quickly – I ended up in a pricing discussion because I told them, I said, look, you can't ask premium price because they are not willing to take that risk, one. Two, although they understand that you have a massive impact, because they do, they have a massive impact on the revenue of the company. I'm talking about 1% to 2%. Can you imagine? On revenue, which is massive. Yes. They, they won't pay you the big premium price they would pay to an IBM. No. Right? So, no. so I said, whatever you have in mind, if you say 500K, You'll probably end up getting 200k, yes. But you will have a logo. I said that's the one thing you want. You want to have the first bit, one of the first big references to scale your business. Yeah, I think an interesting, an interesting company for them to look at is a company called Ultimate Software. Uh, they um, are, have got a SAP. Sorry, they've got a, a SaaS model. They're in the area of human capital management software. Yeah. If you do a search, you will see that there's a few articles about them. They've grown quite successfully. But one of the things that they did, and it was difficult, was that they kept to their model of building that SaaS platform. And yeah. um, they, you know, they, they speak quite highly, uh, both that there are experts sort of within the business and external to the business that have said that that and it's a it's a form of bravery, I think, in in some respects. You... It's it's bravery focus, and I also think because I know a lot more about the company. I said to them, look, if if you make this choice, you have to do one thing. That is, whatever you build for these guys and you make, because there's a lot of documents they need to write and a lot of PowerPoints and stuff they need to do. Make it scalable so you can use it for everybody else. That's yeah. the only thing you need to make sure of so that if things go wrong after three four months you have all the material built where you can just change a logo yeah yeah so i told them go for it so that was my advice i said go for it i want you to focus we go all in so we're building price we're doing everything for those two and we give them i, I put a, a deadline on it. I said okay we give it four months if it hasn't happened we have to move somewhere else or you're going to be you're going to be bleeding all over the place mm. You see, I think I think my advice would probably be a bit contrary to that. Is if their strategy is that they want to go the model of SaaS, it takes all of their efforts, all of their focus to really become successful with the SaaS cloud model. And I don't think you can be distracted. I've also been bitten personally. I had a client that uh, we were in a proactive sales process with them, and I actually effectively sold the business twice. <laughs> but on both occasions, they had big projects that went wrong. And and I don't think through any fault of their own, it was just that those companies, one, uh, they just turned the tap off. They just had a change in direction and they decided to stop the project. Yeah, that's the danger. Yeah. And that stopped the sale because that business suddenly becomes very, very different over the next 12 months. Very frustrating and very mm. painful process to go through. And they've they've survived and they've come out of it at the other end, but it's a big big hit. But you know it's yeah. it's a difficult decision and it's very difficult to give a 
uh, a sort of a, a, a sweeping answer. But they are obviously some of the things that you need to look at is you're going to have uh, a client that will have a very strong hold over you. If that project goes wrong, it can have a big impact. It can kill a business. Um, but cash is king. Mm. And <laughs> building up the cloud model, building up the SaaS business takes marketing. It takes effort. It takes time. You can't get there overnight, whereas the big hits are obviously very, very attractive. If you read SaaS, uh, some of these blogs of the, let's say, the gurus, yes. they'll, a lot of them will tell you that you should go to the mid-segment SMB. Because you can be much faster with multiple customers, and yes. corporate is just sure. uh, it's actually if you really think about it, a large corporate will always want you to customize it fully tailored to them, which by nature is a bit against the SaaS model, although when you then look at Salesforce, you could say it doesn't really matches, and then we get up into the service discussion. but I think the hardest part, I think the decision. You, you also need to look a bit differently, I think, because a lot of the SaaS platforms I'm seeing, they don't have automatic onboarding. So it's not very easy to get it installed and get up and running in the beginning. It is after a few years, but in the beginning it's not. So they always have this custom part. And that's that makes sales hard in a lot yes. of these cases. Yes, they have these internal salespeople that yes. I think can help take people on. There is a lot of talk about self-service onboarding yeah. now. Yeah, um, but it's a product feature almost. Right? It's, yes. it's, uh, they they don't have the integrations. They they are just not there yet. And you know, over time they will. But then somebody needs uh, to pay for and, and it, a discussion. It, yeah, I mean, it relates back to a number of other factors or observations that we've made about the most successful companies. It's it's about the customer experience. It's the user interface. It's the user experience. Um, which is satisfying in all respects. But if you think about it, you one of the things we're always saying is in those three areas, so customer experience with the business, user interface of actually using the product, really clean, very logical, sexy even, it's gotta it's gotta be good. And they their experience overall of using that product long term needs to be good because you need to retain those those customers. And you need those people to be evangelists who are going to be shouting about your products to other people. Because people do like to do that. They become your best salespeople. But to do that long term, it's hard. You don't just need to be good at it. You need yeah. to be excellent at it. You've got to be better than your competitors because the bar is always rising. And yeah. I think to be really good at that, plus being good at the marketing, it, you can't be all things to all men. And that's no. the problem. You've got these big projects on one side. You've got a platform they're developing on the other side. And that is the biggest problem of most technology businesses I, I come across. I had a, in that context, I had a very funny discussion with a, with a VP of sales yesterday. He, we were talking about CRM. He says, Michael, uh, give me some advice on CRMs. And he says, you know what? Most CRM systems I see come from engineers. They never have done yes. a proper forecast oh. in their life because a forecast is all about commit and upside and that kind of stuff. And you almost never find that type of category yes. in a CRM. And it says real salespeople, they will know that immediately. They will be looking for it. And like in the Salesforce and all of this, you have that. But it's, it came later. They, they realized it was missing. So, so most, that's why most people end up doing a forecast in Excel because you basically extract everything in a certain time period, and then you say, 
is it going to come or not? Because you can't say that in a pipeline. Right? It's yeah. the same trick. I, I agree. I fully yeah. agree. Yeah. I, the, the other thing that I, that I see a lot is that these technologists, they become removed from the problem that they're solving. And this is where you need to be so focused. You need to know that niche business sector better than your clients do. That's really tough. You know, I've said many times before, how many professional footballers do you see that are also, you know, top level swimmers? People don't yeah. do two sports at a high level. I actually, but, but uh, in the tech world, yeah. we try to do that all the time in maybe five different business sectors with, you know, four different technologies and, you know, handfuls of different. Oh, it's a nightmare. And it seems to be the smaller the company sometimes, the more you can see that they diversify. I know why. Because they're, yeah. they're chasing the dollar. I, I actually dollar. sometimes send engineers, like the guys who code, over to the customer and say, go see how these people work in real life. Yes. And then they came back sometimes with big eyes and say, guys, we, we just, this interface, although it looks on paper the best interface in the world, people just don't understand that the bottom is left or right. Or It was really funny sometimes. So we would do that. But then again, at a certain stage, you get bug down in the sprint and it needs to go fast and, and it's always the same thing and it's like a, it's a tough one I like customer success for that reason because that customer success can solve a lot of those problems yes 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 you need to get that you need to get the success but you need to have that communication with your customer but how many software vendors do you think actually use their own software it's oh not, it's not always oh, it's, possible it's, but, it, but they it's, need to be using it it's ridiculous, actually. But by the way, even if they use it, their own internal projects will always be pushed behind because they, can, they can't get money for it. It's like an internal cost. I tell you, what, the, the conversation I've had more times than I can remember is where they've said to me, this is a fantastic solution. In fact, all businesses should be using it. And I'll say to them, next question I ask them is, so how do you use it? Ah, yes. Well, we haven't yet, but we're going yeah. to. Voila, exactly. <laughs> so you, you know really what? believe in this solution. You really believe that your customer should be buying this. They should all be buying it, but you're not. Where I get scared, <laughs> really scared, is because I've been seeing a lot of CRM vendors. Yeah. Is I'm sure that 70% of CRM vendors don't use their own CRM, which is completely insane, right? <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, and I, I'm amazed, and I'm like, yeah, don't tell anybody, Michael, but and I'm like looking at it, I said, this is not possible, guys. Come on. How can you solve the problem if you don't even, ah. that That's anyway. a really good example, actually, because there's, yeah. no, there's no excuse, is there? Because it, at the end of the day, I know, a lot of, I know a lot of the businesses that we speak to, they see themselves as, as technical scientists, and they are. But ultimately, they're one thing, that they're, a sales, they're in a sales business, and they're selling technology. I, I have so, a... Yeah. Yeah, they should have a CRM. True. I have a really good story about a company called Cumulus Pro coming out of the GoFax world, and it's it's about digitization. Yeah. And this guy, I was very early on. He said, "I'm going to build a cloud SaaS platform for scanning." That's how he started. He does many other things, but but in essence, that's where he started. And I remember me coming from the old school world on those days, at classic licenses with maintenance, all of that. I was helping them and I was sitting and I said, everything they used was cloud-based. So they killed every standard license in the company and everything they did was cloud-based. It went from simple things like Gmail to Cloud Drive, I mean everything. And we, they ran into problems internally, you cannot imagine. 
And I told him, why do you do this? And he said, Michael, it's the only way I can fundamentally understand how to be SaaS company, how to sell this to other people. Yeah. And he, he, he nailed it. Huh? He, he really, truly understand it. For instance, in those days, five years ago, it's funny, I was from, from morning till evening, I was explaining that the cloud is safe. I haven't had that conversation in the last two years. No, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, no. and because I was, now it's crazy. Nobody asking, and not, nobody's no. asking. Where I'm saying, guys, you should ask because this is insane. But no, you're uh, right. in those days, I was explaining it. And because we were using Azure and Amazon and all the stuff, we knew it was safe because we looked at the system and knew, yeah, there is no way you can get in between here, right? Mm-hmm. So I really liked the approach, but it's tough. Huh? It's a bold decision. That, that actually, the company that I mentioned before, Ultimate Software, the yep. main essence that that you can see in making that change was they just had to be brave and they had to do it regardless. That's the direction we're going in. And I think once they'd communicated that this is what we're doing, everybody got a line. And I think that's what you probably need to do is you need to take that brave step. You need to explain why you're doing it. And then you get everybody focused on that goal and not going in the other direction. And, and, you know, as you like, move faster. <laughs> move faster. Sprint, boy. Go yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I, start, I, I, I started ending my – it's really ridiculous, Mark, but I started ending my, uh, my emails with the sales sprint never dies. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's absolutely true. And, and, and the studies – and it's still ongoing that we're looking at the fast-growth <laughs> software companies. They do seem to be able to move faster. And, and the speed that – and I don't mean that they're just in the, in the speed that they're growing. Obviously, the speed that they're growing with these particular companies is phenomenal. But they also make mistakes. But they make mistakes quickly. They realize that they're making those mistakes because they're looking very closely at the results that they're getting. And they change because business is also about experimentation. And they're, you know, with the SaaS world, lots of businesses out there, they're breaking new ground. Who knows, absolutely, could be guaranteed that doing these set of actions is going to lead to results. You make a best instinctive guess. You can perhaps model yourself, and that's what we're looking at, is getting lots and lots of data in about these successful companies so we can pull out those common denominators. But ultimately, every business is unique, and there is a degree of experimentation about it, but they are able to make changes quickly. And that seems to be an important factor for software businesses, all businesses, when you think about it, because the pace of change is increasing. Make that change, get it done, and then monitor it. And if it's not working, go do something else. Sure. Um, I don't True. see anybody with all the magic answers. No, because it's tough and it's different every single time. Huh? But, but, but it's... it's... I, I, I seen it when, when I started with the whole YouTube thing. I thought you do one movie you spend all the time and then magically everything will be you know people will watch it it doesn't work that way it's like you're putting varnish on something you know it's like a little layer another little layer and after a while you have so many layers that there is no escape and it will work but it takes yeah it does and i think i think the other thing is that it's tough It's it's a tough world to be in to have a successful business particularly in the software tech is is very tough and you have to be very resilient so to have that resilience, I think that you, you've got to have a certain amount of confidence to, to actually chance your arm and, and, and to go for it. 
but you've got to be careful that that doesn't become ego. I think no, some no, people that's another story. Yeah. yeah, and I think that you've you've got to be prepared also to say, actually, we've got that wrong, and let's not worry about it. Let's not beat ourselves up, and you go and try something else. The thing, the thing I would say from a lot of the very successful people I've seen is they're very prolific. Yeah, they're doing right. a lot. They're not overanalyzing. I've seen the other the other type of people that I'm speaking to them. They're talking about and they're, we're going through this process. We're analysing the next steps. I see them a year later. They're still analysing, and you know, the, the research that they did a year ago is probably out of date now. That's far too long. You know, creating documents of 300 pages. No one's going to read it. Forget it, guys. Be no, prolific. No. You, you got to stop. You got to you've got to give yourself some thinking time. But there's a limit. There really yeah. is. Nobody will read the word on page three that you've discussed for three weeks on. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And there's no, there's no maths formula that you've got to work out here where you come to, a, you know, the perfect solution, the perfect answer that's wow. guaranteed to give you the results. It just doesn't work. By the way, a very nice, um, I just say, uh, analogy, uh, something like that, something yep. that looks. I was watching a food program yesterday on Netflix on Paris, and I was in Paris two weeks ago, and it was an American guy going to Paris. So I was interested, what is this guy going to say about what to do in Paris? <laughs> and at a certain stage, he goes to a restaurant, and what, there was, was this... It wasn't McDonald's, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a real, a real brasserie, and the brasserie was actually really cheap, because you need to know if you haven't been in Paris for a while, we all think of French cuisine as haute cuisine. It's very expensive, and then it always is the same. It's like perf- close to perfection, yes. and this brasserie is really cheap. And I noticed when I was in Paris, I've seen a liberation of pricing of food. It's really cheap, and the quality is actually pretty good. So I thought maybe it's me. I'm in the wrong bar or whatever. So this guy does the whole tour. And then there is this French guy that explains there is a whole new trend in Paris, which is the opposite of the haute cuisine, is we give you food at a very, very, very reasonable price, and you only have like two options, but it doesn't matter. And suddenly, Mark, I'm thinking, why on earth did I start talking about food? Because I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit. It's a bit like when you go when you go to the supermarket and you're hungry. Yeah. You find you you fill your trolley up, don't you? And with all this it's just stuff. ridiculous. I'm suddenly seeing all these dishes and I'm thinking I gotta stop talking. So, Mark, what have you been up to um, these days? <laughs> well, been talking to some interesting companies. Um, had quite an interesting experience um, over the weekend. Actually, I okay. was talking to um, a couple of guys that have a lot of experience in the area of programmable logic systems. So industrial yeah, control. PLCs? Yeah, is that that PLCs. kind of stuff? Yeah, yes, yeah. Okay. I can follow. Yeah. Another acronym, just what our industry needs. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and they were looking at the security area. And then I could see that they were talking to me and discussing about the service that they were offering. And I wanted to obviously advise them about creating equity value within their business about recurring revenue about providing a very focused solution finding the niches in the market and i was able to bring to them the other part of the equation that enabled them to offer that complete service so we had a call on monday these guys immediately started talking the same language and uh, they've got a follow-up call today so that was quite exciting it was just 
I meet a lot of companies and sometimes you can see the two sides of the equation, you know, A and B. Yeah. When I put these guys together, and it's really it's, it's, it's not in the traditional business you are in. Huh? No. Most of the time it's like software. I mean, this is a bit of a different approach to yes, the PLC business, very different. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a platform, there's, there's, there's a software element to this. You know, we say sort of software tech. So, um, but I just, I mean, I enjoy, enjoy business and I enjoy getting your head involved in these. And when they were talking about some of these systems, DST and uh, Honeywell systems, um, it's, a, it's another bit of knowledge. But I could see from a strategic point of view, they they were right. There is a market opportunity there because some of these control systems, they cost millions. And some of them, it's millions to replace. And some of them are 20, 25 years old, but they are a, a security weakness. They can yep. be attacked. So these guys are looking to put something together there. Another company that um, I looked at, and I actually came across them when I went um, to the artificial intelligence uh, exhibition yep. the week before, and we mentioned a little bit about that. But yep. I, had a, I had another look at this company. I was going to mention them to you because you would be interesting. It's a company called Gweek, G-W-E-E-K, Speech Intelligence Analytics. And one of the things that we've spoken about many times is about the importance of communication skills. And they've got, uh, as their marketing tagline, communication skills for love, for love, for life, love and work. And they've got some artificial intelligence, speech intelligence, which actually is, is able to rate people. And they say, I spoke to, I think it was the CEO or the CFO of the business. And they said that where their technology is being used is predominantly by large organizations in, in helping their salespeople when pitching their businesses. Is, when, does this have like this uh, sentimental uh, analysis stuff sen in there? Sentiment? Well, I, I asked them about that. They said, I that like they, that. Yes. Uh -huh. Sentiment analysis. Yeah. Uh -huh. it, it also is looking at them from a visual point of view. So they will can video. And then they upload this and they talk about things like hand gestures. Because, you know, with politicians, they are coached as soon as they start to come to the front bench and they're going to be on TV. They are intensively coached about how to communicate, how to come across in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. I don't see that so much in the sales field. You know, you, no. not to that same degree. I think that you get presentation skills where it's a lot of it is talking about how to put together PowerPoint presentations, modulating your voice, very base, basic skills, but not the sort of the whole round package. Uh, is, and this was quite interesting. Um, how far they are progressed, I don't know, but it, worth having a look at. I found them quite interesting. It was, uh, so it's Gweek, G-W-E-E-K, and then speech.com. Gweek, speech.com. So it's funny because yesterday I had a, 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 somebody calling me from the Netherlands who almost told me a very similar story. And they're actually applying what you're saying to documents. So they have documents and they apply speech oh, okay. recognition to yes. documents. And, and one of the things they do, and they've been scaling really fast, is with the whole GDPR, is all the legal and and going through all these uh, legal documents and they're way faster than any existing document engine that we know. Wow. Yeah. So I was very intrigued with what he's saying. And then he started talking about sentiment analysis with people and I'm like, oh, good God. But, you know, a lot of this is hype. 
let's, yeah. let's, let, I need to, I need, you know what? I'll invite the guy to the sales acceleration show. I'll have a chat with him. <laughs> yeah, do so. I mean, the sentiment analysis and a lot of that on the documents. I mean, because document management, that area, we, we've both been involved in that for years. Me, me for a very, very long time. And there have been a lot of companies around offering that. Um, I, I think there's some clever uh, technology that, that can definitely help um, organizations. Um, because one of, one of the things I see time and time again, and I'm thinking for sort of the people that we're speaking to, the way they communicate to the market, some of the documentation that they create, they understand it. <laughs> but I'm not sure the rest of the world does. Some of the, <laughs> some of the documentation, you know, just go and look on the websites. You look yeah. at these websites and you think, well, you know, I know, a bit, I know a bit about technology. I know a bit about software, but I have not got a clue what you're talking about. Yeah. And when you challenge some of these people, they start to protect themselves and make excuses. Say, guys, don't, you know, take this as a positive. If you're selling, you know, X amount with that sort of communication, what could you do if you really learn to communicate? Why they don't want to use plain language? They want to be seen as as techies. They want to be seen as their kingdom. You attack them on their kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's so many examples like that, you know, that it's it's almost frustrating. I'd like to I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to take some of their key statements, some of their positioning statements, take them out into the street and say, let's speak to 100 people, see what they say. Yeah, but then I would I would fight you and say those are not my my suspect and my targets to sell to, right? So you have to. <laughs> but I get I try I see what you're trying to do. But I but I and I would counter that by saying, but if you can put it into simple everyday language that anybody can understand, then you're never going to lose them. And you it's it's from where you start that conversation, and there will be techies there that want to know to the. You know, the nth detail, they want that detail. But you don't start the conversation there. And also, there are a lot of decision makers that are not technical at all. And they will want to get a feel of, what's all this about? Should I even waste these guys' time in looking at this? And if they go to something they don't even understand, you're immediately yeah. started yeah. behind. Um, yeah. You know, you're, you're never selling it nowadays. I think there was a study done recently which says that you're on typically – with technology sales, you've got over six people involved in the decision. There's probably one or two key decision makers, but there's a handful of people that are involved in this. And to what degree do they have enough technical knowledge that they understand what these acronyms are? I mean, acronyms where they don't even once say what that is. I mean, the problem I have is I see so many acronyms. Even when I know them, I sometimes forget them and I think, oh, what's what's this one? You know, you do need to have it there, but they don't... For some reason, they they don't want to do it. No, true, 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 true. Uh, so what else? What else have you? What else has been happening so, to you this week? So I uh, did uh, an interesting experiment last week. I basically thought, if I think about what I'm doing, is the original idea behind what I did with the whole sales thing was that I wanted to help people to become better sales because I was so frustrated people trying to sell to me, and I just thought they were idiots. And which is a, is a bad for the sales function. That's why people are not proud to be sales. And when you say sales, everybody thinks of the car dealer and all of these guys. But so I'm thinking if I go back to the root of what I'm doing is I need to do sales for sales. So I actually uh, phoned up about 50, 25 people, all executives of scale-ups. And I said, guys, I want all of you, you don't know each other, 
you're all in the same phase, almost all in the same phase, trying to figure out marketing, trying to, you know, swimming the lake of rejection. Why don't I get you all together and I get you a speaker, which is extremely rare to find. I know you guys will never be able to pay nor get access to this person, but I can. Because yes. it's it's a she in this case she needed I mean she she owed me a favor let's say it like that yep. so I said do you want to come uh, eighteen showed up and we spent three four hours listening to to Hilda uh, explaining about all the non-verbal tactics uh, it was really cool about influencing people how do you hold your hands I mean exactly what you were saying ah, uh, okay and <laughs> they really yeah, she trains uh, like um, let's say execs. CEOs of companies to go on stage and to make sure that they are not lying. You know? How do yes. you do non-verbal? Really, really interesting stuff. And so they were there and they loved what Hilda was saying. Not only did they love that, they also just loved talking to each other. Yes. And then they asked me, could we Absolutely. do this again? So I made a post as a joke actually on uh, LinkedIn saying, uh, and I did it yesterday, I said, hey, uh, I just started my mega secret Humble Sales Club, because it's a humble club. Of course, my last name is funny. Humble Sales Club, and thanks to these guys for coming. And I took a picture of all the guys because I said, one of these guys is going to be, is going to scale like crazy. And I had so much reaction on this. It's ridiculous. I mean, I had over 10,000 views. I still, it's going and people are reacting. People, and I said, if you know the secret password, you're in. So I have people sending me the most insane words the whole time, which is, which is funny. I like that. But I realized I, the power of community of I, – I was actually sitting in the background. I didn't need to sell anything to them. I just – I was proud. I'm sitting there looking at them and saying, look, they're happy. They're connecting. It's all value. This is how you grow a, a community. This is how you grow a business. This is how you give something back. So the next is planned in September, Mark, and you're invited to come and speak about equity value, unlocking equity, all of that. Love it. So, so because they're all scale-ups and at a certain stage they need to start thinking about this. Why don't we, well, why don't we do an event um, in London? And we'll we go. get them all over to London. Let's, let's, let's get some interesting people together. Let's talk about some of these subjects. Um, by then I'll have quite a lot of information on the studies that we've been doing about these fast-growth yeah. software companies. Yeah. And let's get people in a room and let's throw some ideas out there. Yeah, and the first one that's trying to sell, I will spot him and I will nail him against the wall. (laughs) (laughs) We are now at 34 minutes. Oh, God. We were on fire, Mark. We were on fire. It's coffee, caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) We've both had our coffee (laughs) and it's fired us up. But that was good. I enjoyed that. So um, really good fun. So this was the Bossit podcast. Um, as always, we'd like to get some feedback. We've both been getting some feedback recently, which is really encouraging. And we're changing things all the time. We heard that people didn't like a big intro at the front, so we're straight into it. And um, we will keep listening and we will keep changing. Please like and review. So great to uh, speak to you, Michael, and look forward to speaking to you next week. Same here. Speak to you next week, Mark. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. Bye-bye.